Hello, 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 and welcome to the Kingston Curator here on 101.9 FM CFRC. My name is Lauren Tucker, and I'm very happy to be your host, bringing you arts headlines, interviews, and our live music calendar all throughout the summer. This week, we've got plenty of awesome interviews coming up for you in the local music and arts scenes, bringing you some community campus arts, curator and director of the Agnes Etherington Arts Center, Emily Changer, is bringing us the latest on the weekend full of events at the center to look forward to. Dan School faculty Dr. Kip Pegley joins us later for an insightful interview on the developing role of artificial intelligence in the music industry. As always, we've got your live music scoop too, featuring your calendar of can't-miss performances for the week. We're thrilled that Nick Lennox of local band The Wilderness returned to the studio with us to chat about the group's upcoming performances, opening for the Trues at McKinnon Brothers Grandstand this weekend, and co-headlining the upcoming Howl Island Rock in the Rock show. Last, but certainly not least, acclaimed Canadian singer-songwriter David James Allen joins us for an interview and performance off his latest album and in advance of his upcoming gig at Musicy Cafe. That's all coming up this hour on The Kingston Curator, but first, I'd like to turn it over to my wonderful guest host for the week from the CFRC Shortwave Radio Theatre Camp, who have your arts headlines for the week. Lots of exciting news and events coming out on, on out of the Isabel Bader Center. Following their Chamberfest engagement, the National Youth Orchestra is now on the on their 2023 Aurora tour and will be given a concert on July 14th at 7:30 p.m. Doors are are at 7 p.m. and tickets are $30 for the generic public. 27 for staff and faculty and only 10 for students. The uh, show will be available for, for free live stream. This group features over 80 of the Canada's brightest ca- uh, young classical music- musicians, so you won't want to miss miss out. Also, at the Isabel July 16th at 7.30 p.m., Canadian Chamber Choir presents their show where the waters met. Doors are, are at 7 p.m. and tickets are 25 for the generic administration or $10 for the live stream. Applications to Isabel's 2023-2024 Imagine Arts Incubator Program are open now until August 20th. Artist Residency supports creation-based filming, recording, or streaming initiatives for original works. It seeks socially engaged art projects tackling the issues of our times. To get tickets of en- to any of these shows or learn more and apply for this program, you can find it all at queensu.ca slash the Isabel. You can catch Summer Swing Mondays every other week from 7 10 p.m. with the Queen's Swing Dance Club at this pair. Each night kicks off with a beginning friendly dance lesson taught by experienced dancers. Then you can stick around for two hours of open dance and practice time. Tickets are $5 for students and $10 for community members. And all are welcome. You can visit queensdc.cl to find that ticket link and buy them now. Every summer Tuesday in Springer Market Square at 6.30 p.m. You can attend the free salsa in the square lesson at social dance. Teachers will be able to guide you through learning the dance and having fun. No tickets are required and all you need to bring is your energy, spirit, and souls. Again, that's Salsa in Square, every Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. at Springer Market Square. 
At Kingston's Independent Cinema, The Screening Room, you can visit every Thursday evening and Friday night until August 3rd for the B-Side Cinema Series, bringing you five underrated gems from Hollywood, auteurs David Fincher, Christopher Nolan, Steven Spielberg, Sofia Coppola, and David Lynch, hosted by Dan Simpson, PhD student and creator of Eyebrow Cinema on YouTube. Tonight, you can catch the Spielberg sci-fi drama, AI, Artificial Intelligence, Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Come back tomorrow night at Friday, 9.30 p.m. for Christopher Nolan's thriller Insomnia starring Al Pacino and Robin Williams. For a full list of this month's B-side movies and for tickets, you can visit ScreeningRoomKingston.com. Opening next week on July 18th, Stephen Sondheim's company, The Musical, will be presented and by Inspired Productions. The company will be running at the Spire from July 18th to 22nd, 2023 at 7.30 p.m. with with an additional matinee on July 22nd at 2.30 p.m. Tickets are $25 plus tax and are available at the door at companybyinspired.eventbrite.ca. Coming up next weekend on July 22nd, How Island Rockin' the Rock features a full day of music from my son the hurricane, The Wilderness, Chris and D, Tiny Horse, Reckless and Banded, and the Bon Evans Band as well as a special guest new band that is to be announced. Tickets are only $40 and selling fast. This event runs the whole day with gates at 11 a.m. And for more on tickets, as well as the shuttle information, you can visit howislandrockintherock.com. Also, be sure to tune in to the Kingston Curator next week for an interview with performers Local folk pop super duo Chris and D. For our first interview this week, we're bringing you more on the upcoming weekend at the Agnes Etherington Center. First, the center will be hosting an opening event for Emergence, a recent gift of Indigenous art, on Friday, July 14th at 6 p.m. Following that, you can stop by on Saturday, July 15th from 1 to 3 p.m. to take part in the sharing and talking circle for the Agnes Reimagined Project. Now that plans are complete and prepared for construction to begin in the spring, everyone is welcome to attend this event to learn more about the project and share their insights. Then, on the same day, from 3.30 to 5 p.m., you can join the Out the Gates procession. The Agnes honors the Lang Collection of African Art with music, poetry, and dance as the collection is moved to a temporary campus home to prepare for construction. To learn more about the Agnes and these upcoming events, you can visit agnes.queensu.ca. We are here with Emily Chunger, director and curator of the Agnes Etherington Art Center, chatting about the gallery's reopening and summer exhibitions. Uh, welcome to CFRC. Thanks, Lauren. We're really uh, happy to be chatting with you about all the stuff that is coming up here, because as I understand it, you have just recently uh, reopened to the public. So um, I understand that the big exhibition that is the, the largest one that's being kind of hosted until November is Emergence, a recent gift of Indigenous art. I was wondering, could you talk to us a little bit about this exhibition and maybe why the 1970s were chosen as this particular decade of work to explore? Yeah, so um, maybe I just backtrack because it is 
a bit auspicious that we're reopening <laughs> um, <laughs> after being on retreat. So I just For wanted sure. to have this opportunity to sort of share with with the listeners about our plans, um, which, you know, is a good segue into why this exhibition, why now and why this decade. So um, for all of you out there, uh, Agnes it has some very exciting plans. We call it Agnes Reimagined, which is our new facility um, scheduled to reopen in 2026. Um, so with our community engaged design process and a small construction delay related to some very amazing uh, things, uh, we've decided to reopen, um, which we did last uh, weekend on Canada Day, um, with this really incredible exhibition of contemporary Indigenous art um, called Emergence, a recent gift of Indigenous art. and. Um, the work that is on display is actually comprised of a really special collection um, that Agnes is really honored to um, house, uh, which was donated from the Guardian Capital uh, Limited uh, wealth management company that operated in the 70s. Uh, we received this gift of Indigenous art in 2020, and we didn't have the opportunity to exhibit this fantastic collection until now. So with our reopening came the opportunity to showcase this collection. And what makes this collection so special is that, and why we say it's contemporary Indigenous art, is that this company was operating in the 70s and all of the work was being collected in the 70s and all of the work is from the 70s. So here is a wealth management company who were um, sort of ahead of their time collecting really cutting edge contemporary Indigenous art that, of course, would go on to shape um, the current cultural landscape of art in this country today. Yeah, so, um, you know, artists working in this time period were working across many mediums. Many of them were actually innovating in new media. So in the exhibition, you will see textile-based work, you will see print-based work, sculpture and painting. Oh, that's really cool. That's a really cool kind of um, different, you know, you get to see a little bit of everything involved uh, with that. So that's really exciting. I also wanted to ask you because yeah, it's like so exciting that you reopen. But in the meantime, one of the like really bright and eye catching sort of pieces that we've been able to see on the Agnes facade is this sort of graffiti um, compilation that I understand is entitled Transformations. So, I mean, it's been up for a year. Um, it's a commission of six artists, uh, six graffiti artists from across the um, Montreal-Toronto corridor. And we commissioned these artists to um, paint our facades last summer. Um, and it was a very special project, a collaboration with the Art Conservation Program at Queen's. Um, they were in town for a week. Uh, through lift training and we used all of our paint, our leftover paint, all of what Agnes has been doing over the last year or so is sort of using up all of our materials as we close the art center and prepare for construction. Um, so all the base coat of uh, transformations uses all of the paint from Agnes's, the history of Agnes's exhibitions past. Um, and, you know, for uh, the artist, it really was an opportunity to demonstrate different styles of graffiti. Um, and it's a very special project for us. We love it. Um, it's really changed. Uh, well, it certainly has changed the facades of the Agnes, but it's really changed uh, the vibe as well. 
Yeah, that's something that I found kind of really interesting about kind of having this right on the facade and the way that it kind of speaks to the fact that you're situated right here on campus. And I was actually wondering, the Agnes's location on campus, does that inform the kind of programming and exhibitions that you'll run as far as engaging students or maybe bringing folks from the broader community into the campus area and into the Agnes? Um, yeah, of course. I mean, the Agnes is a public gallery. We serve mm -hmm. uh, all of the region and we operate nationally and internationally. Um, so our programming is um, always with a multiplicity of audiences in mind. I could sort of see that also in the different programming um, that you folks have, which was something I also wanted to ask you about because you're home to all of these all of these awesome exhibitions and collections. But I know you tend to host um, a bunch of different events and workshops. Are there any upcoming events that you might like to share with our listeners that they can look forward to? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because next Friday, the 14th of July, we have our public opening um, for Emergent. So this is your opportunity to see these 65 works by 27 artists from 17 communities. Oh, wow. Um, and that runs from 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, the Agnes is always free. Everyone is always welcome. So I encourage everyone who's listening out there right now to attend our public reception for emergence from 6 to 8 p.m. next Friday, July 14th. And then on Saturday, July 15th from 1 to 3, we have one of our very special community engaged sessions. So Agnes Reimagined is being built through a community engaged design process. It's quite unique um, and quite unprecedented and quite path uh, defining. Um, so our architects, KPMB, together with Real Consulting, uh, one of our collaborators on Agnes Reimagined, will be in town. And we have been hosting these sessions for the past year and a half. Uh, we're moving from schematic design into design development. So this is an opportunity for the wider um, Kingston communities to come to Agnes and talk about their um, desires for the new Agnes yeah. and give input input on the schematic design, which came out of our engagement sessions from last year. So it's sort of a very important um, moment, a threshold moment in between schematic design and design development. So I encourage everyone to come to that and it's accessible. We will have ASL interpretation. We center uh, BIPOC and disability voices in the room for these sessions. So I really encourage folks to come. And just after um, our community engaged design session from one to three on Saturday, July 15th, we will host out of the gates uh, procession. So we are uh, orchestrating a procession um, to honor the Lang collection of African art as it makes its way from the Agnes um, to its uh, temporary offsite abode um, in preparation for construction. And it will be full of music, fun, and really good vibes. So I hope that um, everyone will make a weekend of Agnes next weekend. Oh, that sounds absolutely fantastic, especially that procession. That sounds like a really interesting kind of unique event that you folks get to put on, like taking advantage of the fact that there's going to be all this construction going on to really honor the pieces that you've been um, able to to host over the years. So yeah, it sounds like all of this construction has been a really kind of long time, a lot of work, a lot of love in the making and having these community informed sessions about the new Agnes, was that always something you wanted uh, as a, an organization to do when you knew you were moving into this next phase? 
Um, yeah, it's integral to how I reimagine Agnes. Absolutely, <laughs> for <laughs> sure. Uh, very important that museums are living. Um, that they are engaged members of their community. And we must do that by working alongside and with community um, and not uh, for, well, of course we work for community, but not in an, not in, um, an external way. So right. this is a real opportunity to, um, you know, I always wanted to create the conditions where when the new Agnes opens, Everybody has a skin in the game. Agnes is a public institution that is for everyone. And so becoming, creating the opportunities to be engaged in the entire process and dream into the future of Agnes together um, was a very important and strategic decision we made from the beginning. Right. Um, which included really key decisions we made from the beginning. For instance, not doing a, uh, design competition but doing a call for design architects who would collaborate with us on this processual practice of engagement to build new museum architectures to ensure that the future of Agnes is not a container for old systems but a proposition for new ideas. You know I've been looking at the 100% schematics this week and recognizing that you know the new Agnes is very porous um, it is very fluid. Um, the spaces are very welcoming. Um, you know, we're returning the Eth historic Etherington House back into a home. We talk about the quite literally, but we talk about it metaphorically too, um, by creating a live-in artist residency in the upstairs of the house and a community facing hub in the downstairs of the house. And this idea of returning the house to a home um, you know, makes hospitality the guiding institutional ethos of Agnes Reimagined. So our architecture is following this um, ethos of hospitality uh, in, in, in its very form, but also in its very process of making through these uh, engaged uh, sessions. Um, but folks can learn so much more about this and see the actual schematic designs and tour like our little renderings and have a have an experience of this architecture just on the brink of us, um, you know, going into actual design development on next Saturday at the community engaged design session. So that's why I really encourage folks to come out to that. If you want to know what's happening with the future of Agnes, get involved. So that event is going to be on the 15th listeners on the Saturday. And you can check out, as I understand it, more about events and hours at the Agnes by visiting agnes.queensu.ca. And thank you so much again uh, for being here and telling us about all the amazing things that are going on. It is my absolute pleasure. Keeping it local to campus, I'm very excited to feature for you this week a special interview from Dr. Kip Pegley, professor at the Dance School of Drama and Music. As we continue our conversations in the art scene this summer, Dr. Pegley stopped by on Zoom to chat with us about a question that seems to be everywhere lately. What does artificial intelligence have to do with it? You won't want to miss these insights, so take a listen. We are here with Dr. Kip Pegley of the Dan School of Drama and Music here on the Kingston Curator. Dr. Pegley, welcome to CFRC. Thank you for having me. 
Of course, we're really excited to be featuring this interview. I think this is one of the first that we've been able to really sit down with an expert about something in the public eye on the show. It's a fairly new show, or this season is to the air, so really excited to have you here. So we are lucky to have you here chatting to us about the effect that artificial intelligence is having on the music industry. And now, so the specific instance that uh, was brought up in uh, Queen's statement and brought up recently is the release of this new Beatles song that apparently used AI to extract John Lennon's voice. And as public opinion sort of begins to weigh the pros and cons, do you think that maybe as such a recognizable name as the Beatles, this instance has a benefit in being a conversation starter to get people thinking about this? I do, but you know, there are a number of different ways that AI can be used within the music industry, as with everything. But, um, and this one is one of the more, and one of the more gentle ones, and I think one that more people can get behind. So in this instance, the Beatles have an old recording, and they have John Lennon's voice in it, but there's just too many background sounds, right? So there's all of these things happening in the background, and they weren't able to kind of extract his voice previously. But now they can they can use AI to hear what's called a frequency spectrum for a sound so that they can separate John's voice from everything else. And so then they can work with that and be able to re-release, you know, or to release really a, a, a piece for the first time. And I think that's got a lot of people excited. It's it's um, you know, we have new Beatles material coming out, which is which is something that a lot of people can get behind. It's quite different then from that to what most people are afraid of and most people are concerned with, which is at the compositional level, right? When AI is coming in to actually start, you know, being used to start a new piece. And I think that's where um, the anxiety is coming in. So in the Beatles case, I think it's quite exciting. I think otherwise it can be a little bit concerning. Yeah, for sure. So speaking uh, and just kind of getting into that conversation a little bit more, I was wondering what first got you personally interested in this strain of research and discussion and how do you go about diving in when it's such a new and changing kind of conversation? It's a great question because it really is changing daily, weekly, right? Um, we're going to be offering a new course at Queen's within the next year that is going to be directed towards digital music and AI. So even, you know, within teaching, it's something that's changing. And that I anticipate I'll be changing it every week because it's it's just so, you know, the, the, the evolution of it is so rapid. Um, but I became interested, I mean, it was a number of years ago, I was at a music museum and, uh, in Seattle, and we were able to use the, um, you know, computer technology there to, to digitize my voice, to change it, to play with it. And I remember at that point thinking, when this technology becomes really uh, advanced, when it's, you know, we're not there yet, but when it becomes advanced, this is going to be something we're going to have to watch out for. And, and I don't want to sound apocalyptic with right. that. It's, it's really something that we're going to have to pay attention to because, um, you know, I can sound, they can now manipulate my voice to sound like you and you to sound like me. And so that we might be putting, you know, so-called words into each other's mouth. Right. And that's something that is, you know, um, on, kind of on a, on a moral level is concerning too. And I think that has a lot of artists concerned that, um, that they might be uh, quoted as saying something or heard to say something that they had no intention of ever saying. So that was kind of the beginning of it. 
And then over the last little while, as many of us have been interested and, and kind of taken aback by the uh, AI's um, uh, creation of the, the Drake weekend piece, where we went, wow, listen to that, that went viral. Um, and a lot of people got to hear it. And that's that's this new way of using it. And so that was the, the hard on mostly um, piece. Right. And that's using vocal resynthesis. So again, it's taking one voice and superimposing, um, you know, someone else's over top, or even using AI to generate songs from the ground up. It it's uh, it raises lots of it raises lots of questions like who is the author of the piece, right? Right. And who gets copyright? Who gets royalties? Who is responsible if there is? A lawsuit, and they transgress, uh, you know, a copyright, or they they go over copyright infringement. What happens then? Who gets sued? So yeah. all of these different questions. I think they're all really interesting and something that we need to deal with pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. That really segues into the next question I had prepared extremely nicely because when I take a look at the conversations personally that are happening around me on my social media, I personally see a lot of people criticizing AI as this is not art because it's missing some kind of crucial human component that makes it some kind of art imitation but it sounds as if and i always imagine that there are more pressing concerns than maybe the philosophical definition of art so i was wondering what are what do you think are the main concerns or ideas that you've been hearing proposed by your colleagues and people in the uh, music industry lately about ai what are the big questions that people are asking kind of on the ground well, one of the things that we're really um, attuned to is um, how do we protect artists? Right? Right. How do we make sure that artists get proper remuneration for their work? Uh, there are some artists that are putting it out there and saying, hey, everybody, you can have about it, you know, do what you want, hoping that that will you know, generate some new interest in the work. But other artists, it, it is a concern. Within Canada, for instance, you know, under the Canadian Copyright, Copyright Act, um, only humans can hold copyright. Right. So within here, it's still the instance that that the um, the AI is seen to be, um, you know, secondary to the author, and so that actually gives a little bit more empowerment to artists in terms of um, and responsibility in terms mm -hmm. of what what it is that they're writing. What's interesting is that AI has recently been registered as a co-author of a song. So, okay, so now maybe the person who's working with the AI is no longer the author. Eventually, will the AI be able to then decide to create a song and create their own song? And then what happens to artists? Right. This, on the one hand, it's, a, it's still a little ways off. And to be frank, if we have, uh, you know, robots deciding to create music, we have bigger problems yeah. than who owns copyright over yeah. a song. But still, even within the music industry today, um, there's fear that this might uh, affect some artists who, you know, who are in the industry and composing songs. But really, when you listen to it, some of the songs that have been created are not to many people's ears and to many musicologists' ears. The, the hooks are not, not yet as good as what um, humans can write, right? right. It's, still a little bit, it's still a little bit flat. So, so that isn't, you know, for pop songs, for instance, that isn't as much of a concern yet. Within other genres, it, it is more of a concern. So when you think about Spotify or any of the streaming services, 
it tends to now go by categories, right? So I want right. music for working out or for relaxing or chill or whatever. And within some of those, with some of the ambient music, that is, that's more of a genre that doesn't have the same hooks per se. It's not meant to make you sing along. It's meant to be there in the background and help just relax you. And those are some of the genres that, um, to which AI is a little bit more well-suited already, right? right? So I can plug in a few things and I can just say, all right, go for it. And it can just kind of give this chill, ambient, relaxation music in the background. Uh, track music for commercials. Some of that is being replaced by AI. Um, so already some of this is happening and it is affecting uh, artists, you know, and their paychecks. Having said that, now I want to go back and contradict myself. For those of us who were around in the 70s and 80s, we've heard these kinds of fears before. Um, so, uh, you know, with uh, MIDI instruments, musical instrument, digital interface, with uh, uh, sampling, you know, they said sampling, going into rock, that's not music, that's not, you know, it takes no talent. Uh, as someone who has gone to New York to study uh, sampling and, um, you know, different elements in rap music, it is a lot harder to do it well than you would think. It right. is really, really a tough thing to make interesting and creative. And when it happens, it is magic. And, and so today, admittedly, it is 2.0, you know, it's a whole new level. But we do have more people who are able to be at home and say, I have no idea how to write a country song. Put it in the AI, work with it. And then at the end of the day, they can have something and say, I didn't know that that was possible. So it does allow for more people, you know, as a la the Heart of My Sleeve song, where people are able to do things they never thought possible. So that is exciting. But for people who are really concerned about artists, as I am, we should also think about what's happening with them on, on streaming services. So Spotify, for instance, for every uh, million streams, an artist might make $4,000, right? Or there's 0.0004 points per stream. So, and Spotify also generated in 2021, for instance, $8.4 billion in revenue just from their premium uh, subscribers. And it generated another 1.2 billion from advertisements. So if we're really worried about artists, I think we should back up and take a look at what's happening in the streaming services because artists are not making enough money from that. And that's what I think is benefit from really quickly right now. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's a really interesting, again, segue to kind of one of the last questions that I had prepared for you that I was curious about. So I'm sure, you know, the Writers Guild of America has currently been striking for over a month. And among their points of disagreement is the use of AI in screenwriting and seeking regulations on how AI is used on minimum basic agreement projects. So this isn't their only demand. We're seeing a lot of different conversations come out of that strike. But I was wondering, do you feel that this WGA strike could be reflective or influential of any labor disputes we can see in Canadian creative or music fields upcoming if things are left unchecked? Absolutely. And I'm really, um, as hard as it is for this strike and for the people who are suffering under the strike, I, I agree with their, their concerns, with their interests, with their demands, because this is something that I think we need to get legislation around sooner than later. 
it, it came in, it's all happening. It's hard to get the horse back into the barn, right? right? So it's really good to be able to get this going now. Having said that, again, another contradiction to a, a, um, a, a survey done by Ditto uh, Music, which is a music distribution company, mm-hmm. more than 60% of uh, professional musicians in the U.S. are already using AI. Okay. So this isn't something that's coming. It's actually something that's being used. And, and it kind of makes sense. You know, you rarely have an individual who can both, you know, write lyrics, write great hooks, um, you know, do interesting things with production. We see before it gets to the to the next level. And I think this vocal resynthesis is the thing that sparked people, right? And got right. so many people on board. But you know, as much as people fear that the robot is gonna be taking over and doing all of these things, I still have a belief in people wanting to connect with people. Absolutely. And it might sound, you know, it might sound old fashioned, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, many of us, you know, when we're kids, we're putting up posters of people in our bedrooms. Yeah. We're wanting to go to concerts, right? I don't see Wally becoming, you know, a poster <laughs> that a lot of kids are going to want to put yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I think that is just a great insight, maybe a fantastic one to kind of wind it to a close on. I was wondering if you happen to have any recommendations for places where our interested listeners might be able to learn or read more about this topic? You know, so much of it right now is in trade magazines, which are fabulous. Um, Because it takes so long for an article or a book to come out, it can take months, years, and by then you're already a little bit behind. So if people want to learn a little bit more, you know, especially for people who have access to Queens, go in, go onto the library site, take a look in and type in some keywords, type in, you know, AI uh, music, changes music industry, AI. These are all some really easy searches that one can do. And that I think is where you're gonna find some of the, you know, the most up-to-date and some of the most interesting debates. You can even go on if you're interested um uh to the um canadian you know for to look at canadian copyright look at the canadian bar association they've got some um briefs and things up there that are explaining what they're thinking about what the pitfalls they're seeing and that can also be as much as it sounds like for those of us who are not lawyers it's like really you want me to look on the bar association website but the questions i think they're asking are really um uh, important and yeah. will shape many of our shape our lives in the years to come. Yeah, well, that's just fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that with us and for this wonderful insight and ideas that you've brought to the show today. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to keeping up with more from this conversation and from yourself and the dance school. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. Take care. For today's live music lineup, I'll be featuring shows from fantastic local and visiting acts fast approaching to Kingston. Keep it locked because you won't want to miss these details. Tonight, June 13th at the Broom Factory, New Jersey deathcore group Fit for an Autopsy visits Kingston for an all-ages show featuring the Acacia Strain and Esquilla Grind. Doors for this show are at 6.30pm and tickets are just over $30. You can visit the listing at kingstonlive.ca to get your tickets now. This Friday, July 14th, Los Garcias will be bringing Latin music to Kingston with salsa, cumbia, merengue, mariachi, and more with a free 5 to 9 p.m. show at Hotel Wolf Island. 
This group brought the party to the Hotel Wolf Island waterfront patio twice last summer, so you won't want to miss this upcoming show. Also on Friday, July 14th, singer-songwriter David James Allen and his live set up the growing machine will be hitting Musique Cafe as part of the Ontario Quebec tour, supporting his recent album release featuring openers Brothers Gently and Cody Allen James. Doors for this all-ages show are at 8pm and tickets are only $15 in advance, available through the listing on kingstonlive.ca or by searching David James Allen on Eventbrite. We'll have more about this show and an interview and performance from David James Allen on this episode of the Kingston Curator, so keep it locked. This Saturday, July 15th, McKinnon Brothers Grandstand will be hosting an all-ages, rain or shine show from Canadian rock band The Trues, with supporting acts The Wilderness, Reds, and Tiny Horse. Tickets for this show are $45, and the shuttle bus pass from Kingston to the venue is $17. Gates are at 4.30pm, and the music starts at 5.30pm, so grab a bite to eat from the local vendors and enjoy the live show. To get your tickets, you can visit thetruesmusic.com. Also on Saturday, July 15th, Kingston Dream Rock outfit Lost Cousins will be hosting an album release show for their upcoming record, Point No Point, at The Mansion, supported by Oak Ridge Ave. This album is set to drop July 21st, but you can attend this show to celebrate and get excited. Tickets are $15 in advance, and this is a 19-plus show. Tickets are available now through the listing on kingstonlive.ca or by searching for Lost Cousins on Eventbrite. With more on live music and how Island Rock and the Rock, multi-instrumentalist member of headlining act The Wilderness, Nick Lennox, joined us in studio at CFRC for an inside look at all of the incredible gigs and new music coming up from this group. Check it out. I'm so thrilled to welcome back to the Kingston Curator here on CFRC, Nick Lennox, multi-instrumentalist of Kingston band The Wilderness, in advance of their opening gig for The Trues on July 15th at McKinnon Brothers Brewery and their co-headlining show at the upcoming How Island Rock and the Rock event. How are you doing, Nick? Welcome back. I'm fantastic. I'm always happy to be here at CFRC. Thanks for having me, Lauren. We're so happy to have yourself back uh, on the show, and we've been happy to host folks from The Wilderness on The Curator this summer you guys have so much going on. You were telling me just before we picked up here that you folks were actually uh, at time of recording in Toronto last night. We did have a really special show in Toronto last night. We were playing at a place called the Horseshoe Tavern, which a lot of folks know. It's a really historic venue. And we've played there maybe 10 or 12 times over the course of our time as a band. They've welcomed us back a lot. And it's always really, really special playing there because Toronto feels like the big city you know right for (laughs) sure (laughs) Kingston is lovely and it's supportive but Toronto we go there and we're like whoa and uh you know we had a great crowd we played a bunch of new songs it was really well received and like the energy was just phenomenal at one point like I think a breaker went out or something and all the lights turned off (laughs) we thought maybe they were trying to like hush us off the stage but the front of house was still live and and everybody just pulled out like the flashlights on their phones and we played the last two songs by like flashlight lights so it was really really fun oh that's fantastic that's is it fun for you folks to like you said Toronto is like the big city but going into like a fresh crowd bringing these songs to folks who are maybe new to you guys do you find that the energy is different or exciting for that reason oh absolutely i mean we road test our stuff a lot we keep talking about this record that we're working on because we are putting a lot of effort into it and we're taking our time with it but we've been road testing the songs and it's one thing when you show like your friends and family and they're like oh yeah good for you right and maybe it's a little weird it's a little intimate because maybe they know the picture that's going on behind it but to like get up there in front of like reasonably speaking a bunch of strangers who are not your neighbors who came out on a Thursday night for whatever reason uh, feels really really special because yeah seeing the response to the music was 
heartwarming. Yeah, yeah was, for sure. Uh, it was really, really special. So Yeah, I remember you folks played a lot of new songs at the Spring Reverb gig that Correct. myself and Mary were lucky enough to see. And you talked about, I believe, to Mary, just being able to gauge responses, especially to lyrics when you play them for a crowd for the Absolutely. first time. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that really stuck with me because I remember the specific lyric that you mentioned. <laughs> I was one of the folks who reacted to it that way. Oh, I was boy. like, oh, I love that. Like, it's a it's a tough one, but it just it just hit a it hit a nugget. I think for a lot of people in that audience. Yeah, when we wrote that one, Jonas was like, "This is friggin' brilliant. I'm gonna get in so much trouble." <laughs> this poor guy. Oh my gosh, yeah, that that's yeah, that one just comes to mind as a bit of a lightning strike. It just as you were talking. So yeah, as you said, you're playing Toronto last night, and it's really fantastic to have you in advance of these two Kingston gigs, though. And I yeah. understand that you folks opened for the Trues, who you'll be opening for soon, for a virtual show back yeah. in 2020. I was wondering what that was like, and maybe what's changed for you as a group since then. Do you feel? Well, okay, that was simultaneously one of the coolest gigs and also the weirdest gigs that we've ever played right we got this gig because we entered a competition it was like a Jim Beam talent search thing um, and we did rather well at it uh, and the trues I guess were looking for an opener via this competition they picked us okay. and this was in like the dark depths of 2020 yeah. so we played at the Danforth Music Hall which has always been a dream oh my god uh, it's such a cool venue I've seen so many cool shows there. I've seen Kamazi Washington there I've seen King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard there like I, I was, love them so yeah, yeah that's, Danforth <laughs> that. is fantastic Fantastic, but um, that's a great, yeah. So we were all like, wow, this is amazing. This is like the biggest venue we've ever played. And we get there, and because it's COVID, like they've got screens up and everybody's wearing masks, yes, but there's also nobody there. Oh. Like we are up there, and this is still live on YouTube. You can still watch it. We are giving her. We did it in one take, but we were just like as much energy as we possibly can to an empty room. <laughs> that is, and just thinking about the Danforth, like having been there, the what the Danforth must be like to be completely empty as far as the general admission goes and up to the yeah. balcony, that must have been really surreal it for was, you. Yeah, it was like liminal space. <laughs> it was like really, really uncanny valley, but, yeah. but it wound up being really, really cool because we did the virtual thing and they live streamed it and we were all, we got to watch the live stream afterwards, okay, right? Yeah. And so we're watching all these people in the comments like chit-chatting about our music being like, oh, who are these guys, right? And, like, the stuff that they're picking up on, they're like, oh, this song's kind of nice. This guy's playing tambourine and sax at the same time. That's crazy. Um, yeah. You know, so that was kind of fun. Uh, and, and the Trues guys are really nice to us about it. So it's nice that we get to do this one, like, in person, finally. Yeah. And we actually get to hang out. And we actually get to, like, do it, not for realsies, but, like, you know, like, with the... I, I, I keep saying a community music making experience, like making music with humans for humans, as opposed to doing it behind a screen is, is going to be really, really special. So. Yeah. And I think like having seen you folks live a couple times, like I think as an, you, you guys make for a really fantastic opening act because of how much energy you bring. So are you excited to kind of collaborate with the trues in that way and get the crowd ready for them in a way that you couldn't at the virtual show? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, the virtual show, we had space for like four songs and this we've right. got a 45 minute set, which is nice. And we have a lot of songs. If like left unchecked, we would play for a million years. But uh, the nice <laughs> part about these sort of 45 minute festival like slots is that you kind of got to play like just banger after banger like you yeah. gotta bring the energy you gotta make it so that people are pumped up it's gonna be a nice summer day like folks are gonna be at the farm all day we got a couple of other good acts on Tiny Horse they just released this yeah. new tune which is killer um, like you you have to bring it uh, and, and I like that about this kind of thing you know what I mean we're not really left to our own devices as yeah. much like we, we kind of really gotta bring our A game which is healthy for us so 
Yeah. So how do you find then knowing that you're going into How Island, Rockin' the Rock, the preparation to open for the trues as opposed to co-headlining Rockin' the Rock? How does your mindset as a group differ between preparing for those two shows? Oh, well, I think that we can put on a more dynamic show at Rockin' the Rock. Uh, We like to showcase a lot of the different musical influences that we have in our performance. And we've got some slow burners, right? That new song that you were mentioning. uh, (laughs) We play this one that's like a piano feature called You the Ocean, which I wrote, which is really fun. But it's more of like a slow dance kind of thing. Uh, And so when we play a longer set, we get to really really curate kind of the emotional arc of things and do a lot more of the storytelling and do a lot more of that stuff whereas again with the truth it's going to be like just tight banger tunes like no time to chit chat we're just gonna give her so it's like it really is like um it's two sides of the same coin like it both of them showcase a different element of what we do and we like to think that we're okay at it we practice a lot but uh the difference between the two will be that yeah the, the the true show at mckinnon will just be like all of the hits, summertime songs, and then the show at Rock in the Rock will be like, we're going to like lean into the fact that the sun is setting and that we can share some stories and that we yeah. can play a little more. And then My Son the Hurricane are headlining, and they are nuts good. I don't know. Have you heard them? I've heard them. I've not <laughs> seen them live. You but ought I'm to like, see them live. They yeah. are like really, really good. There's like a thousand people in that band. There's like 13 of them. Uh, I used to be in a band with the trumpet player, Raphael, actually, okay. called the Bradley Project. That one's going to be a really special night of music, too. Shout out to them. They're freaking awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. So as far as the folks that you're playing with at McKinnon Brothers and as far as the folks you're playing with at Howe Island, how much of that is folks that you've shared the stage with before and how much is brand new, would you say? Uh, well, for me, I, <laughs> I I have shared a stage with a bunch of these folks. Like, like I said, My Son the Hurricane, I've opened for them before with a different band, Boo okay. Rabbi Project, they're called. They're out of like Guelph, Alora, uh, which is where I grew up. But, That's a great uh, the, name for a band. But. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're fun too. Um, but uh, the Wilderness, we shared the stage with the Trues that one time virtually. I don't think we've ever played with Tiny Horse, but we've wound up with a bunch of gigs with them now. And we're stoked about it because we like them. Uh, we have played with Reckless and Banded before. They're on at Howe Island. Uh, who else is playing? I know Chris and Dee. Chris and D. I don't think at... we've played with them before. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a lot of fun. They're, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's like it's a bit of a mixed bag, right? I mean, again, the nice part about this music community is that everybody gets to interact with everybody a little bit. Like at some point, you're bound to play yeah, with each other, right? Yeah. So that's kind of a joy for me is is seeing all these cool co- like uh, collaborations and and configurations of. Uh, some kind of musical endeavor like I, I, I live for that yeah that's a real it's a really great bill I'm sure it's going to be just like an awesome show for you folks and for everybody yeah. on it and I was also wondering because you talked about and previously you had spoken about on the show how this summer even though the wilderness is playing a couple of shows your main focus as I understand it is recording this album yes I was wondering how has that been going since we last checked in is there anything you want to update us about oh it's good um I I wish I could like just give you some some tunes to to play but they're not done yet um i can confidently tell you that we've spent a total of maybe seven days in the studio now we've tracked most everything we have a few vocal takes to do and a few saxophone takes to do still but we're like we're pretty close to finishing the recording part of it so we just have to make time to go back up there and we're actually going to do that next week so i think by the end of next week or the week after we'll have it all recorded and then 
we get to work on all the fun stuff, <laughs> the release <laughs> plans and all that jazz. We. So you've got this album, it's pretty much recorded, and bringing them out to this gig, can we expect to hear, again, some of that road workshopping of these songs at the upcoming Kingston shows? Oh, absolutely. You can expect to hear most of this record, actually. Okay, well, that's <laughs> awesome. We yeah. want to show it off. We want to get people hyped up about it, and uh, the best way we know how to do it is to just play the thing. Listeners, the Wilderness will be opening for the Trues with Reds and Tiny Horse at McKinnon Brothers Brewery Grandstand. Gates for that show are at 4.30 and music kicks off at 5.30 on July 15th and tickets for all ages are $45. How Island Rockin' the Rock is on July 27th at the Rock Garden. Tickets are $40 and running out fast. So for ticket links and more on both shows, you can visit thewildernessband.com slash pages slash tour. And thank you again, Nick, for stopping by and chatting to us. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. In our last but certainly not least exciting interview for this week, ahead of his gig at Musiki Cafe and fresh off the June release of his new album by the summertime, singer-songwriter David James Allen called into the station to chat to us about the performance, his live setup, the album, and much more. But keep it locked to the very end because we also have a performance of his album closer, Don't Pry Me Open, to finish out the show for the week. Really thrilled to be uh, chatting with you about this gig and about the album release. So just to kick it off, as I understand, this show and a number of shows that are coming up for you are in support of your new album, By the Summertime. I was wondering, to start off, can you talk to us a little bit more about this album and the process of making it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So this album was recorded uh, mostly um, throughout the pandemic. Um, It was tracked partly in studio. Uh, I have a studio here in Prince Edward County, uh, and I also record at a studio in Hamilton called Catherine North um, okay. with my co-producer, William Cran. Um, so when we weren't in lockdown, I was able to go to the studio there or I was working at home. Um, when lockdowns were happening, uh, we actually recorded a significant chunk of the instruments, uh, including um, pianos and uh clarinets and things online over zoom which was uh, quite the experience oh yeah i'm uh, sure <laughs> yeah um and and oddly enough you know it all come together when you're working with a good group of people um and everybody kind of understands the vision and uh have fun working um you know it, it turned out to be i think my uh, my best album to date so i'm very proud of it um and i'm looking forward to continuing to bring these songs on the road with me yeah, absolutely. I took a listen to the album uh, just the other day myself, and I really, really enjoyed it. I wanted to say congratulations on this release because I think it's really fantastic. Now, I noticed um, there seemed to be a lot of, at least to me, some different genre and sound influences that make their way mm-hmm. into these tracks, but it's still yep. a very cohesive record. I was wondering, did you have any Thanks. particular inspirations or influences on certain tracks or the album as a whole? Yeah, you know what? I think it's a, I think it's an album that really um, brings together all my influences. Um, you know, from soul music uh, to old folk and country songs um, to even kind of modern R and B. Um, every influence that I've ever had growing up has kind of worked its way into the music here. Um, a lot of poetry. I was reading a lot of Nelson Ball, um, who's a Canadian poet based out of Paris or was based out of Paris. Uh, He's passed on now um, throughout the writing of this uh, album. Um, and Al Purdy, of course, who's based here in Prince Edward County. Um, and I was listening to a lot of Nicole Ray. 
um, Lady Nicole Ray, um, L. Michael's Affair, a lot of music, um, consuming a lot of music, consuming a lot of arts. I think that blood its way into the songs. I think some funny, uh, some funny influences uh, like uh, Eddie Van Halen from, you know, <laughs> uh, the guitar player that yeah. I first learned how to guitar tap solo when I was like in grade nine. Oh you know, my gosh. <laughs> even, even, even he made his way onto this album, uh, which was a lot of fun, you know, trying to work a guitar tapping solo into like a ballad or something like that. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's so funny. And that's a really interesting one too, <laughs> to bring yeah. up there. I'll have to listen for that the next, the next time through. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I was wondering, have you played have you played many shows in support of this album so far? Like how have you found the touring mm-hmm. process? Uh, so I'm halfway through uh, Ontario Quebec tour right now. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun. Um, it's been um, it's been great getting the songs in front of uh, ears, both fresh and uh, old ears uh, that have been kind of supporting me throughout my career. Um, and this time around, I'm actually bringing uh, the one-person band with me, or the one-man band, um, as some people call it. It's called the Growing Machine. Um, so I have drum machines, and I play a bass guitar or a bass organ with my feet. I have some vintage cork pedals um, that I'm using to control uh, a little organ that I have um, while playing guitar and harmonica. So on this tour, it's been a lot of fun for me because I'm getting to experiment um, with kind of improvising and creating a unique show every night with machines opposed to a band Um, and it sounds kind of like a trio band um, but it's really just me out there um, you know pressing buttons with my toes and it's been fun it's keeping me on keeping me on edge oh that's my brain work yeah, that's awesome. I was actually wondering because I read about this live setup that you have, the growing machine. So can I ask you, where did that setup kind of begin to to come from? Did that grow out of a particular need or was it just an idea you had? <clears throat> no, I think it was uh, it was more of a need and just uh, an experimentation. So um, I like to perform with the band when I do have the band. Uh, they're called The Beyond. Um, however, you know, bringing a whole band on the road with string section and percussions and um piano and stuff it's uh it does um it costs quite a bit um so this uh this move was more of an economical move um where i could kind of experiment and get a somewhat band sound um while uh traveling solo um so i can keep costs down um i've got a you know a one-year-old daughter at home so (laughs) Um, A lot of uh, family life and uh, budgeting kind of works its way into my music career on the road. Um, But um, so so outside of economics, too, um, during the pandemic, you know, we were all kind of shut in, locked in. And that's really where it started forming, um, where, you know, I'm not I'm not getting to jam with friends. I'm not getting to uh, improvise and hang out with musicians as much. Um, So how can I keep things fresh for myself in the studio? Um, And it just kind of started building from that while buying this drum machine or um, this drum machine. Uh, And um, actually, I found this um, Elka 1980s uh, one-man band machine that actually was like a precursor to the setup I have uh, from the early 80s. And uh, it, it did drums uh, and synth sounds. Um, you can control it with your pedal um, or with your feet. And uh, that was kind of the um, what inspired me to really uh, d- dive deeper into it. Um, it broke on me, of course. That's, that's what happens with vintage gear. So yeah. I had to kind of recreate it. But uh, yeah, 
that's uh, that's kind of what brought me to the growing machine. One last thing, we are lucky enough to have a performance from you here on this call with the album closer. So here on the Kingston Curator is David James Allen with Don't Pry Me Open. Don't pry me open. Don't shatter my doubt. Sunlight's a setting beyond the maple tree bough. I'm on the lookout for shooting stars of the mind, but don't pry me open. Not here tonight. Don't pry me open. Don't pry me open. Don't pry me open. Don't pry me open. Don't flatter my dad. I'll speak when I'm ready to you and nobody else. Oh, yes, it gets lonely living inside a shell. But don't pry me open. May I release and show your spell? I'm that same old record group. I'm that same old tattered shirt. I'm that same old whistle blowing. After you, I'm that same old running nose. I'm that same old open blow. I'm that same old sturdy bowling love. Don't pry me open. Oh, don't scatter my clock. Don't pry me open. May I release and short spells? It's taken me years. To fight off the fear. So bled in another. Witness my tears.
listeners, David James Allen will be playing Musiki Cafe tomorrow night, July 14th at 7 p.m. And tickets are just under $18 and available through David's website at davidjamesallen.ca slash tour. And you can catch his new album by the summertime wherever you choose to listen. And thank you so much again. That does it for us this week on The Kingston Curator, but remember that you can check out this and all past episodes on our CFRC podcast feed. For the next two weeks, our show will continue to air at this special time slot, Thursdays at 3pm, making way on Friday afternoon for some tunes and chats from our featured guest hosts from this week from the CFRC Shortwave Radio Theatre Camp. That was The Kingston Curator, and this is Lauren Tucker signing off on 101.9 FM CFRC. Have a fantastic weekend.